Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We are here today to do an induction ceremony of our two newest practitioners. And as a prelude to that, I would actually like us to work a little bit more in Thich Nhat Hanh's book that we're using this month called Fear, Essential Wisdom for Getting Through the Storm. We're in the section of the book where he talks about fear in a different way. I think we're used to addressing fear kind of piece by piece as it comes up. So, so maybe uh, there's a fear in our heart about uh, some con- physical condition we have. Or maybe something happens at work and it brings up fear in us. Fear is of, of losing a job or interacting poorly with someone. Maybe a relationship brings up uh, disquiet and fear in us. Uh, those kinds of things happen. And of course, as adults, we, we look at it and uh, we do what we can. And sometimes, of course, we accept a little stress rather than dealing with it in the moment, but, but nonetheless, I think we're used to dealing with fear as it arises. And because of that, I think we often think of the opposite of fear with words like maybe faith, right? We, we combat a fear with our, our faith in a higher power, perhaps, or we combat our fear with the idea of love being present in the universe. Thich Nhat Hanh has a slightly different idea about that. He says that although we certainly can be in that reactive mode and positively deal with fear when it comes up, he also introduces the idea of fearlessness. And he said fearlessness we can actually cultivate. We don't have to wait and respond to some kind of fear. We don't have to wait until something terrible happens or, or, or we're feeling confined or, or something wrong going on. We can actually begin to seek out and cultivate this idea of fearlessness. And so let me give you uh, an example by way of uh, probably a corny joke. Um, so, <laughs> well, well, and you know, I say joke, this was presented on the internet as a true story. Right. Uh, so I'm just saying, you know, I have my doubts. But anyway, it's a cute story. So as a professor at Texas A&M, I taught during the day and did research at night. I would usually take a break around 9 o'clock, however, and I would pull up a strategy game, Warcraft, on the internet, and I would play with an online team for an hour or so. One night, I was paired with a veteran of the game who was a matter, master strategist. With him at the helm, our troops crushed opponent after opponent. He was unstoppable. He was fearless despite the vast numbers of the enemy and unfavorable battle conditions. After six games, we were undefeated. Suddenly, my leader informed me he had to leave the game. I asked him to stay a little longer. His fearlessness was necessary. We needed him. He declined. His mom said it was already an hour past his bedtime. (laughs) Have you known the fearlessness of children? Right? I still remember when I was about seven years old, my parents thought it would be a good idea that I would learn how to swim. And so, you know, we went out and got a swimming suit and we uh, went to the local pool in town. And so, you know, I get showered and run out in my bathing suit. 
I jumped right in the deep end. It's like there were kids in there playing, right? I was fearless. Of course, you know, a few swimming lessons later, then I wasn't sputtering with water in my nose. But the, but the initial reaction, complete fearlessness. Haven't you known kids that just wouldn't take no for an answer? You'd maybe try to reason with them. Well, well, sweetie, you know, your first efforts may not come out as perfect as you want. It's like shame on us for saying that, right? Because their efforts are, are fearless and wonderful, whether they're trying to sing for the first time, whether they're trying to uh, draw, whether they're trying to, to do something on the athletic uh, field. That level of fearlessness is almost always rewarded. And it's something, right, that we, I think, can cultivate. Because I would suggest to you, the only reason you're not that fearless now is you've cultivated it out of yourself. Naturally, I think we are fearless. Naturally, I think new things and new ways of being, new expressions of ourselves can come as easy to us as they do to someone who's seven and sees a swimming pool for the first time. I think that exists within us, and I think we can reclaim it. Now, Thich Nhat Hanh has an interesting idea of how to reclaim this, because so far this month, we've been talking about fear, we've been talking about ways to overcome fear, and we've again been doing that in the reactive mode. When I'm in that place of fear, when I am currently afraid of something, how do I effectively deal with that? How do I turn that fear into more of a positive? Today, though, I'm going to talk about proactive fearlessness how we can become that childlike person ready to take on the world no matter what comes our way. And Thich Nhat Hanh says that it starts in kind of two parts, and both parts are necessary. The first part, he says, is we have to stop. And he talks about the idea that most of us, and I think he's zeroing, even though he lives in France and, and, and he's a Buddhist monk, I think he's talking directly to us Americans, maybe more than the rest of the world, because he says... We have to stop running. He says from the morning we get up, the, the minute we get up in the morning until, until, well, and some of us even carry it on into our sleep, I think, but, but we are running. And he characterizes it as both running to and running from. So we're running from a whole lot of stuff, aren't we? We're, we're running from maybe a, a job that we don't like. We're running from past experiences where marriages didn't work out or where family relationships were awkward. We're running from from maybe, uh, I don't know, ways of, of being. We're running from alcoholism. We're, we're running from all kinds of crazy things. And do we ever actually escape? See, this is the problem. He says that the running is really a diversion from doing the work necessary to really end the fear, to end the pain. So, so we might self-medicate ourselves. And, and now some of you are thinking drugs and alcohol, but what about television, right? Don't we self-medicate ourselves in all kinds of ways, overeating and TV? And I'm not just talking uh, about people who maybe have a dependency on drugs or alcohol. I had an aunt that always had the TV on. I mean, you would go to visit her and the TV would stay on. 
I still remember my mom one time, we went to visit, she lived in Milwaukee, and my, my mom went up to, to, we were visiting and sitting there, and the TV was on, and it was like days of our lives, or I, I can't remember what it was, and mom went over to turn the TV off, and my aunt went, I'm watching that. She was running from her life. Her stories had actually become more important to her than living her own life. Now, I'm not suggesting that TV is a bad thing, but if you discover yourself losing hours and days to the television set, think about that. Are you running from something? Are you trying to uh, assuade your own heart to, to try to, to, to get out of your life and in someone else's life? Thich Han also says, though, there's running too. And now this one, you might give me a little pushback on because his examples kind of sound like something that I might actually do, right? His examples of running towards or maybe running towards a new career where you'd have to put in a lot of effort and, and a lot of work towards, uh, towards doing a new career. Maybe you'd have to take some classes. You'd have to, to, to be dedicated to doing it. Or, or maybe running towards would be, well, I just left a, a bad relationship, so I'm going to run towards you know, dating and find someone new in my life so that I can feel that love again. And what he says is the trouble with running towards isn't that much different than running from. We're not actually standing still to experience our life. We're betting the farm, so to speak, that something in the future will make us happy. That something in the future that is not guaranteed in any way or shape or form will make us feel the way we want to feel. And there's the key, I think, isn't it? Because when we're striving, whether it's to get away from something or whether it's to get closer to something, in the strivingness, we're usually focused on a thing or a, a way of being or, or more money or a better standard of living or something like that. And we're neglecting the idea that there's actually a feeling that we want to feel. So it's not so much that I'd like to have a million dollars, I'd like to feel like I have a million dollars. It's not so much that I want a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend, as it is, I want to feel loved. Do you see what I mean? And so often in our striving, in our pining away for things, in our strong desires to go and do and be, we're hanging our hook that that thing, that experience, is going to make us feel different. I got news for you. Maybe. <laughs> but have you ever left one job just to find that the next one was about the same? Have you ever ended one relationship and rushed into the next one and discovered, you know, wow, I feel just about the same about, uh, about myself as I did in the old relationship. See, see, this is when we're focused on the longing, on the pining, on the desire for a thing, instead of standing still long enough to understand what it is you really want of life. It probably isn't that great new job. It's probably the feelings of sufficiency and having your needs met. 
It probably isn't that new boyfriend or girlfriend. It's probably that desire for connection and love. Thich Nhat Hanh said all of these things are an inside job. And the two things we need to do to experience them, the things we really want, is first we have to stop the running, we have to take time out of our lives that already seem too busy, right? Because we're running. <laughs> we're running. We have every last minute mapped out. And he said, the first thing you have to do is find a couple hours a day that you can devote to living in the present moment. Not planning for something new, not digesting something that already happened, not worrying about the future, not, not beating yourself up about what you could have said around the past. He says we have to be prepared to stop in this present moment, and the way we begin cultivating fearlessness is to take on in our own mind on an inward journey the things that trouble and worry us. And so the, the solution, if you will, or, or the recipe here is stop and contemplate. Now that can take a variety of forms. Of course, from the Buddhist tradition, he would suggest meditation. But I would also suggest journaling. I would suggest uh, having a prayer partner. I would suggest uh, Enneagram workshops, any of those things that require you to stop the busyness of doing and engage you into contemplating your own inner world. And so whether it's a, an hour of meditation spread into a couple segments throughout the day, whether it's having a prayer partner that you can honestly and rigorously and truthfully speak what's going on in your life and bounce it off of someone else, whether it's seeing a practitioner, whatever it is, that is how you regain your fearlessness. You unburden yourself for yourself, and by yourself. And as an example today, I would like to talk a little bit about our new practitioners and their practitioner studies. Many of you may not understand even what our practitioners go through. It is this exact kind of activity. First of all, we make them stop. Can you believe it? We have them devote a minimum of about five hours a week to the inward journey. Uh, some of it's in classes, a lot of it's in individual writing and journaling exercises. We, we have them spend time going to AA meetings. We have them spend their time uh, visiting people on hospice. And you might ask, well, what, what is all of this about? It is to stop running and begin looking at the issues that confront us all. And so they'll have an evening where all they do is talk about death and dying and what it means to them personally. We have our practitioner students actually write memorial services for themselves as though they were at the end of life and, and wanting to know how that goes. We have them attend 12-step uh, programs, not necessarily with the idea that they have a, a substance abuse program, but knowing that all of us suffer from compulsions of one kind or another, it's appropriate to see what that's like. And it isn't so much that they're going to be helping other people, which of course they are. Don't get me wrong. Of course, our practitioners are absolutely trained and, and spend the, in, in fact, they spend most of their second year on how to be a practitioner for other people. 
But the things I'm talking about are in year one, and they're doing it for them. They are doing it to rigorously, honestly become fearless in their own lives. So that when illness comes up, they've examined this concept. They're fearless about it. When, when pain or trouble comes their way, if there's a, a, a trouble at work, trouble in relation, I think we talk maybe three weeks around relationships in various angles of what it is to be a friend, what it is to be a life partner, what it is to have all of these different experiences that can cause us both great joy, but also great difficulty in pain. We make them stand still long enough to contemplate to meditate, to do all of these things to learn about themselves first. If, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, fearlessness is an inside-out process, something that we, we do in the inner sanctum of our own hearts, how might we do that? I've, I've kind of explained a little bit about how the practitioners do it, but I would suggest that you too can go through this process following the two-pronged approach of stop, right? Carve out a time in your life for spiritual practice for that inward journey. It only probably takes a, an hour a day, maybe an hour and a half. Depends on how much progress you want to make, how fearless you want to become, how well you want to regain some of that youthful zest and, and love of life. And then begin contemplating your power. There is a power in you that can overcome any circumstances going on, and it's within you. It isn't your ability to do out in the world. It is simply your ability to go within and recognize that you are whole, that there is a perfection in you that God has given to everyone that there is a capability and a loveability in you. You are made of God's love. And when we take the time to contemplate the issues that come up for us, whether it be pain, whether it be uh, trouble at work, whether it be, uh, um, I don't know, financial issues, when we take each of those into our own heart, we discover that in the spiritual world, these issues do not even exist that we can call upon that inner knowing that God is here to support, that love is in this world, that as I begin to claim it for myself and understand that I am for it, just right in my heart, not having to do things in the world, not having to chase after some elusive thing or way of being, that I already have it that it is my nature to experience love, that it is my nature to, to, to be abundant and feel wealthy, when we realize this, the whole world changes. So my homework is a, a simple one today, and then we're gonna move on to, uh, uh, to do our collection and our little ceremony to welcome our two new practitioners. But, but my homework is a simple one, even if you go with stop, <laughs> even if you take the very first step of this process, do you have a time in your life, preferably daily, when you can stop the craziness and begin the inner journey?
Make time for yourself. You are worth it. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness. It is this thing that I call God. And what I know about God, in its fullness, there is service. Service of the divine itself into the world. It takes the form of these practitioners. It takes the form of our newly licensed practitioners. And it is born in love. And so, in love, I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be, and so it is. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.